Hey, Agile Hartford, it's Dave Kierznowski. Sitting here tonight with Steve Nuziata from the board, and we have Matt Lassiter from Engaged Agility. How you doing, Matt? Doing well. Thanks for having me. You know, I got to be honest with you, and I, when, when Steve first introduced me to Engaged Agility, I read the email wrong. I said, wow, Enraged Agility. That doesn't seem like the <laughs> best name. <laughs> I thought it felt like that some days, though. Some days, maybe. <laughs> some days, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I actually picked the name very intentionally because uh, I sat through too many training classes where the instructors were just reading from the slides. I was like, man, this is just not an engaging class. It could be so much better. And uh, I, I happened to go one year on a an Alaskan cruise with a gentleman named Steve Spangler. And if you ever have a chance, look up Steve Spangler on the internet. He's a He's a science guy and kind of like maybe like a Bill Nye type celebrity. And he creates the most engaging science experiments I have ever seen. And his, his whole point is, is we need to bring fun back to the, back to science in the classrooms. And I was like, this guy's engaging. And then he had a class called the science of engagement. I have not been to the class. I really want to go to the class, but I'm like, this is what I want to build around is this idea of being engaging. And so uh, here we are with Engaged Agility, and I really I, I like the name and enjoy trying to be engaging everywhere I go. Nice. That's a great backstory. So, Matt, we see how traditional uh, agile transformations go. There's usually a big focus on IT. There's a big budget in IT. Train everyone. Teach them how to do their jobs. And for some reason, we seem to leave, well, business partners and middle and upper management out of the equation. What's been your experience? What have you seen out in the field and what would you do differently if you could restart any transformation you've been involved with? Yeah, I I can tell you that in in any organization that I've been in, the places where the transformation takes hold the best is where the leaders know and understand what's going on and actually lead the transformations themselves. They become the spokesperson. They understand the benefits. They're able to articulate it. They know that when the team is doing this thing, they're doing it to promote some agile principle. The leadership is key. I think that's probably what I would change is if I could go back, I would, I would tell every transformation that, that I've been in, I'd be like, listen, whatever your training budget is, be it $10,000 or $100 million, rather than spending 90% of it on the teams and training them how to do stand-ups and demos and retrospectives, take about 80% of it and train management so that management knows how to lead the transformation and they know what it is the teams are going to do and then spend the other 20% teaching the teams how to do stand-ups and retros and teaching them the principles behind it. But when management really understands what the goal of the transformation is and the power that the transformation can have, it makes a world of difference. And that doesn't matter if it's at a team level or a department level or the entire organization level, the leadership is key. Yeah, agree. I agree. I'd also add that I don't think there's really enough emphasis put on the, the manifesto and the principles across the right. board. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of teams go through the motions. I think a lot of leadership go through the motions. And I say that because things like metrics, they still tend to favor their stoplight reporting, you know, red, yellow, green, right? Not really understanding what's the magic behind agile. You know, I've had someone tell me, Hey, my team had a daily standup. So we're doing this agile thing really well. And right. that's just not how it's meant to be. So right. I, I totally agree with that perspective. I mean, I think everyone needs to understand the why, why we're doing what we're doing. What can we expect if we put all these things in play? 
people hear agile is better, faster, and cheaper. But as we know, it's only that way if you do the things that make it better, faster, and cheaper. Right. I always equate it to a, to a diet plan. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, I really need to lose weight, and I'm no diet professional by any means, but I could say, hey, there's three things that you need to do to lose weight. You need to eat less, you need to work out more, and you need to get eight hours of sleep a night. And if they go, oh, okay, I, I can do that. And then they come back to me in six months, and they're all mad. And they're like, I'm not losing a bit of weight. I'm like, well, have you eaten less? Did you work out more? And did you get eight hours of sleep a night? And they go, well, I kind of eat about the same as I always did. And I, I worked out a time or two, but not a whole lot. But by golly, I go to bed every night at midnight, and I wake up at 8 a.m. And I'm getting that eight hours of sleep. It's like, I think you kind of missed the fact that it's the three together that really bring about all the, all the benefits that you want and you can't just pick and choose. And so it's, Hey, you know, I did a stand up there for agile. Well, you probably got a little bit of benefit from the the stand up, but there's a whole lot more that you could gain. Right. Right. And I, I liken it to agile and, and, you know, scaled agile too, effectively, it's a big machine and there are just a lot of cogs in that machine but you start taking cogs out of that machine, it's not going to work anywhere. Right. So it's a holistic environment that needs to be put in play. You can't just selectively choose. Mm, I think we'll. I think we'll do a demo, and expect right. miracles. Right. Right. So if you're training up leadership, if you're training up management, is the expectation they're behaving like teams, they're doing the things teams do, and kind of flattening flattening out that hierarchy a little bit. Yeah, a, a little bit. And, and it's kind of difficult to say, you know, hey, leadership, you guys go, go do scrum because that may not fit what it is they do. But I think it's important for them to know and understand the, the values and the principles behind it. And I was working with a group of coaches and we got asked, I don't know how many times they said, well, what is it that a coach does? And I was like, well, you guys hired us as coaches, and now you're trying to find out what we do. This is a little bit of a backward equation, but that's okay. So we sat down and we actually created a list of, at the time it was called, conversations you might have with your coach. And the goal of it was that anytime people ask a coach a question, they rely on the principles to answer it. It's like, well, you know, what happens if this? And it's like, well, let's talk about collaboration or let's talk about limiting your whip or let's talk about visualizing your work. Those are usually the answers we give. So we had a list of conversations you would have with your coach about limiting your whip, visualizing your work, whatever it was. And we created that list. And if I were going to train management and and teach them what they need to do, I would say anytime you are in a situation making a decision, anytime somebody asks you a question about how to proceed, refer to this list because these answers where I've written all of these principles are probably going to lead you in the right direction. And after you teach them the background to that, then they're using that mindset in whatever their day-to-day work is. And that's really where the magic can start to happen. Yeah. It's kind of sad that it becomes that predictable. You can anticipate the questions you're going to get, but that's kind of the organizational culture and hierarchies that we're dealing with and that we're trying to break. Everyone wants their space and their paradigm and their way of working and it's hard to make them think, which is exactly what they have to do if they're right. going to work in an agile system. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the systems of the past have been set up to make it where they don't have to think as much. 
it's it's been set up to where whatever the answer is, I can flip to the to the page in the process book, and I can know the next things to do. And the world that we live in today is so much more complex that 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 we can't have a process that tells us every possible path that we might take from here on out. Right. We're not command and control anymore. Right. But we still have a lot of vestiges of the iron triangle out there where yeah. everyone wants the estimates up front. They want to know if we're going to get it on time on the date for the budget. Those are difficult conversations. And I know I've had to have several of those with management around. Let me explain why you're asking me the wrong question. Everything is known immediately and nothing will ever, ever change. Right. That's not agile. You should be right. asking me, what's the probability that we're going to hit our target with what we know right now? So it's more probabilistic uh, questions and that we can right. demonstrate some things like that while keeping agility in the system so we can react when we have learnings. Exactly. I always like to start with the conversation of, you know, what, do, what does agility mean to you? And I use the word agility instead of agile because agile is this, this thing provided by a manifesto and it's got, it's got lots of methodologies and all this stuff around it. So I use the word agility and um, I, I like to, to tell them, you know, if you think about the American Ninja Warriors running across these obstacle courses, they understand agility and they understand that they have to train their body to sense and respond to the changes for when the platform moves or the barrel thing rolls, because if they aren't sensing and responding to those changes fast enough, they fall in the water. And it's not any different for our organizations. It's not any different for our teams. If we don't sense and respond to changes that are going on, we're going to fail. And sometimes sensing and responding to changes means that we have to stop that thing we were doing. We were working on project A. We need to stop that because there's a much more important thing over here. So we, we've sensed a more important thing and we go respond to it rather than continue project A. But when people get wrapped around but project A has to be done by the 31st. It's like, is that really what you want done? Or do we all agree that this is more important, but because people have their fiefdoms, they stay stuck on, on project A for too long and they don't respond to the changes that are knocking at their door. So we know, we know once you start down this path, this is it, right? If you're, if you're actually doing it well, you never stop. Right. So how does that, how does that sit with leadership when you're talking to them? It's like, well, what are we going to be done this transformation? Well, yeah, it, in much the same way, you know, I, I chose the diet plan and it was not intended to be the same analogy, but you never reach healthiness. Like there is always an ability to get healthier. So you don't, you, you can't just all of a sudden one day stop working out and eating good you have to continue to do that so you maintain your health and so that you get healthier. And uh, it's the same in an agile transformation. If one day you just go, oh, good, we're here. Now I don't have to limit my whip anymore and there's no need for me to be a servant leader anymore. We can just we can throw all that out of the way because now we're agile. It, that's just not the way it is. Yeah, I mean, for coaches, I mean, you know, I've been a coach 10 years or so at this point and there's still something to learn every day. Oh, absolutely. Being agile. It's always, there's a journey. It's a journey that just never really ends. Yeah. Continuous learning. Somebody always comes out with something new. They always come out with a new look, a new approach. One of my big things that I've kind of picked up on over the last three or four years, I, I read a ton of agile books, right? Read stuff by Mike Cohn about, you know, user stories applied and read retrospectives by Esther Derby. And, and it's, it's a lot, all of the, 
the tips, tricks, and tools about the thing that we call Agile. But now I like reading books that are not Agile books and trying to pull out the Agile elements. And one of my favorites is Ender's Game. If you go back and read the old 1980s science fiction book about uh, Ender and the kids that are you know, being, being uh, trained to be the commander of the armies in the future, you can go through there and you can pick out little things where it's like, oh, some of his leadership style is about servant leadership. And some of the ways that he's having his team organize, he's organizing them in a way so that they can sense and respond to change and not having this process that, you know, they get into formations and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore because we need to be able to respond to the changes on the battlefield. And I'm like, he's totally got an agile mindset. And so by reading that book, I learned something new. I learned how to think differently uh, about agile because it, it was no longer about stand-ups and retrospectives. Those are great things to learn, but now I've seen it applied in a different place and it was, it was kind of cool. Made those neurons fire. Yeah, so it was really adherence to the, the principles behind Agile, right? Being able to react. I mean, you see that everywhere. That's why new things keep coming out all the time. They're all effectively variations on principle, which right. is great because based on your context, you may be able to apply one tool or process over another. Yeah, I, I really like the, you know, everybody's tossing around the new big term of business agility, right? And how do I get my business to respond in an agile manner? And it, one of the easy examples that people pick on is Blockbuster, right? Because Blockbuster was, they were a booming business, but they just didn't sense and respond to the changes in the market. And eventually Netflix ate their lunch. Well, the rest of that story about Netflix is that they truly do understand this idea of business agility because they have shifted their core business at least three times. The first time when they put Blockbuster out of business, they were a shipping and receiving department, right? They, they would get, get DVDs in from people and ship them back out to other people. Well, then they said, hey, you know what? We, we need to figure out how to stream to people's houses. Well, the people that did the shipping and receiving were not the same people that did the streaming to people's houses. It, it required a complete shift, not only in the idea of what they're working toward, but their workforce. And now they've kind of shifted again because they're creating new content. They are sensing and responding to the market around them and changing their business as needed to do whatever it is that the market demands. Right. They're also playing around with compression algorithms too, because they're concerned about bandwidth and there may be attacks on bandwidth. So yeah, they're never stopping trying to optimize their delivery process. It's a great analogy. So Steve, I'm glad you brought up the, the technical agility classes uh, that in, engaged agility is delivering. Cause I'm curious about that. So I know we talked a little bit, Matt, about, you know, spending a bigger budget, bigger portion of the budget on leadership. So if we go yeah. back to the teams now, right? You want, you want to have that focus on bringing out technical agility. Is that something you think it would be before the roles in the process? Or do you think it's more like, hey, you got to start out at the same time out of the gate with these things? Yeah, I, I think that uh, if you started with the technical practices before you even thought about trying to figure out how Scrum might fit in your environment, you could you could make the change a whole lot easier. The technical practices are gonna bring about immediate results, okay? Building better code, uh, helping the continuous delivery pipeline be able to deliver sooner, helping things to deliver with fewer bugs and fewer crashes in production. All of those are gonna be things that help the organization almost immediately. And the cool thing is, is that if you learn the technical practices, if you start doing things like test-driven development, if you start doing things like pairing, if you start doing things like DevOps and, and continuous deployment, 
those things don't rely on Scrum. They don't rely on Safe. They don't. They're, they're not tied to any of the methodologies. So you can do them even if you're in a waterfall environment, and you can immediately start building a quality built into your product uh, just by using them. And you can start to create that safety net that builds the stable infrastructure like Mark Zuckerberg said. He says, move fast with stable infrastructure. You can start to build that right away. And uh, then you've, you've got a hardened system that can withstand many, many challenges. And in the future, when you have to touch that system again, it's easier to change, which should be the goal of anything in Agile. You should, it always should be easier in the future. And you can do that at the, at the very bits and bytes level with technical Agile practices. You start building out those first, and it feels like it would lead to discovering frameworks that might suit you better based on your technical practices, right? So some yeah. you might stay with, you know what, fine, we'll stay with the waterfall. That, that still works. Right. But you might go Scrum, you might go XP, you might go to, you know, Kanban, yeah. yeah. Any given methodology is kind of boxing you into using that methodology. And I think that if you were to start from the bottom up and build something that really works for your organization based on the principles, as opposed to, to starting off with an out-of-the-box methodology like Scrum, and if you've already got a really good infrastructure, you might build it around that infrastructure and build something even better. But it takes, one, the good infrastructure, and two, the knowledge of the values and principles to build it upon. Right. Matt, I think that's the challenge, though, to your point. I mean, I agree that... Maybe you come in and do an evaluation of the technical infrastructure and the practices to see what might work. Because I can't see organizations saying, oh, the first thing we do with an agile transformation is reinvest in our infrastructure, even though it may be necessary and appropriate to do. So what, what do you recommend? At least doing a technical practices and infrastructure evaluation to see how could we optimize this for an agile transformation, at least at the start? Yeah, I, I would actually almost separate them. Like you can come in and you can do an assessment and say, hey, let's look at your code. Um, I'm, I'm in, in no way qualified to tell you if you have good code or not, but I know people that are and they can come in and within just a few hours go, this code is written immaculately or this code's a spaghetti mess. And they do this assessment and then you don't have to even talk about the rest of the agile transformation. You can just focus on those technical practices and go, let's start building this code outright. Let's get all of the technical debt removed. Let's talk about where we need to upgrade and why we need to upgrade some of these systems. Because at some point, the infrastructure isn't going to support the changes that we want to make in the future. Because, you know, Windows NT can't run the WebSphere applications that we've got out there today. So you've got to worry about not only the bits and bytes of the code that you put in, but you've got to worry about the infrastructure. And if you build all of that up, again, it, the, the methodology that you decide to stack on top of it should work with any of them. This is interesting. So I think always when I worked with a client, we've been called in, hey, we're doing this thing. They'll call it Scrum or Safe or whatever. It looks something like that, but it is that thing. So we need you. We've, we've started. We're struggling. We need you to come in and coach some people. And that's where we start. We never started. And then usually you have to talk to people. You try to talk to people in the teams as fast as you can through the people. When you get to the developers, it's almost always, man, this is a pain. This is making it so much harder for me because nobody really paused to say, how are you getting things done? Right. Your capabilities at that technical level. Yeah. How do we build around? So this is interesting. This is a very interesting perspective for me. Yeah. One thing that I think is important for us as coaches to, to realize, we talk about shifting our mindset, right? You have, to, you have to shift and understand these agile principles. 
there is an equal mindset shift. The, there, there is an equal, equal level of difficulty in this mindset shift for a developer who codes line by line and just, just kind of keeps going and has huge modules and, you know, all the things that the super developers of the world tell us is bad. There is an extreme mindset shift from th for them to get from that to test-driven development, to small modules, to elegantly written code, to a full suite of automated tests. They all push back on it because it's a change. It's, it's a different way of doing their work. So sometimes when we go into organizations, and let's pretend that the organization knows they need to change their technical practices, they're like, we want to change our technical practices and our methodologies that we do around, around process. And that's like two huge changes all at once. And it's really, really hard. So how is that different than DevOps? Right? DevOps as a, as a culture, right? Understanding that from the beginning. So, so DevOps is, it, it is a culture. It is a mindset. And it's the mindset of bringing the people that do the development that are focused very much on delivering rapidly. And it's bringing them closer to the people who are worried about deploying or the operations side, that code into the existing infrastructure. And those guys are more worried about stability and keeping the system up and running and five nines of uptime and all these different things. And so DevOps is more about how do we get these two different groups of people that often report to the same CIO, but different director level people, how do we get their goals to align? And when we get their goals to align, what are the processes that we can use? What are, what are the things in the background, that, the, the principles that underlie it, that we can get them to both use to make each other's job easier? That's fantastic, Matt. Thanks for spending time with us. Yeah, Thanks man. for having me. Well, hey, it looks like we're just about out of time for this Agile Hartford podcast. With us today was Matt Lassiter from Engage with Agility. On behalf of Dave Kiersnowski and the rest of the board of Agile Hartford, Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.